Genesis uh, 12.1, and it says, and I'm reading from the New King James. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country. Get away from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And he says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing everywhere that you go. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Lot was his dead brother's son, whose name was Haran. And Abram was 75 years old, and when he departed from Haran, which was the town they lived in, then Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go into the land of Canaan. Now you might ask, Pastor, how is this important today? Well, this is very important. And, and the reason I, I want to, I, I to back up, and I now want you to go to Genesis eleven twenty seven. right before this. We're going to read, read the first part last. And this is very, very important because Abraham is at a place in his life where God gives him a dream. He said, you're going to go, and everything, everyone who blesses you will be blessed. Everyone who curses you will be cursed. God said, I got a plan for your life, and I'm taking you to a promise that I've given you. And that promise is called Canaan. But he had to leave Haran to get to Canaan. And why is it important that he's leaving Haran? See, Haran is a town that, that him and his dad live in, and his brothers and all the rest of his family and his sisters and, and all the rest of the family, they live there. But the town is named after his dead brother. His brother who his father really loved. And when you really love somebody, then all of a sudden you lose them. There's something, there's just this grief that overcomes you. And it's a hard process to walk through. In fact, when I, I'm preaching funerals, I always say it's kind of like, it's kind of like waves. As you, as you walk into the water at the beach, the waves are always really strong right at first as you're walking in to wade fish. And I like to fish. And the, the, the more, you know, you walk in and there's strong waves and they're hitting you and they'll almost knock you down. But the further you get out, the, the waves no longer crest and roll over. The waves just kind of, kind of go and. And so the further you go through a situation, the, the further the waves get spread out and, and they don't no, no longer crest and they no longer hit you with the same intensity and, and the same power. And it, it gets a little easier to go through as you go through with some time. But, but Abram's dad has lost his son and, and he's stuck in a moment of pain. And he's stuck in a moment of grief in his life, and he just can't get past it. In fact, in, in Genesis eleven twenty seven, it says this. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, or Sarai. She has still had an eye on her name at this point. In the name of Nahor's wife, Melka, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milka, and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren, and she had no child. And Terah took his son, Abraham, and his grandson, Lot, and the son 
of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, and his son, Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Do you see that? To go to the land. In other words, dad, Lot, the whole family, all of them are going to Canaan. This is where God has called them all to go. And they came to Haran, it says, and they dwelt there. In other words, his dad came to a place in life, came to a town on where God had told him to go, and he stops. He stops in Haran, and he, 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 he calls the city the name of his dead son. Because he resides in the pain and in the mourning, and he can't get past it to go into his dream. His vision was cut off at some place where he couldn't see past his greatest pain and his greatest hurt in his life. It ended right there. And so dad could no longer pursue his dream because he could not get over the wall that he built in his life and he named it after his dead son. He could not get past that point of life. And so then in the next verse we hear The Lord says, okay, Abram, dad wouldn't go where I've called him to go, but you are. And in order for you to go there, you've got to leave some things behind. You've got to leave behind the ones who won't look past their pain. You've got to leave behind the ones that won't look through their greatest grief. And you've got to pursue the dream that I've planted in your life. Sometimes our greatest place in pain in our life, we just stop right there. The greatest disappointment in our life, it hinders us and it stops us and it cuts off all of the vision of what we can see for our dream. Because anytime you have a dream, there's going to be obstacles. David had a dream. He was anointed. He was prayed for by the prophet, ready to go. But there were still giants. There were still things in his way. There were still obstacles that he knew he'd have to go through. Anytime you have a dream, the greater the dream, the bigger the dream, especially if it's from God, the greater the obstacle you're going to have to walk through in your life. God said, your rest of your family can't get past this. You and Lot can. Take your wives and go. And so they walked into the promise that God originally had for his father. I don't know about you, but I don't want my kids to have to live out my dreams. I want to be able to walk my dreams out. I want to be able to do what God has. I don't want an obstacle or something in my life so great that it breaks me to a point where I can no longer function. I can no longer have vision in my life. Sometimes we have to let go of things and give them to God in order to go where he has called us to go. We've had uh, two key scriptures that we've been using uh, for this series. Uh, one is Acts 2.17. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. There's three things that happen anytime there's a move of God and the spirit of God is moving in a place. There's always prophecy, there's always vision, and there's always dreams. And those three things take certain, certain things for an order for them to happen. 
There's always things that have to happen for those three things to be fulfilled. The first one's prophecy. Uh, prophecy is when there's a speaking out of a word or the word of God into somebody's life. You're speaking into their life, and it doesn't have to always be a prophetic, thus says the Lord. It can be you speaking the word of God into somebody's life. This word still has the same effect as when it was spoken. God is prophetic enough, and he moves enough, and he's big enough that this word never changes. It never, nothing about it, I cannot articulate it well enough about the power that resides in the blood of Jesus and in the word of God. There's nothing that, can, that those two mountains can't overcome because God's blood, Jesus' blood, it poured out for me and it redeems me and the redemptive qualities that are in it are, are ever-changing. But we have to be able to move forward. We have to be able to seek him in order to get to his presence. We talked about uh, the last time I spoke about passing the test and facing obstacles with grace, and we baptized eight people. Isn't that great? Eight people went down and came up different. There's something that happens when you go down into that water. Something changes. It says, I am yours, God, forevermore. And then we've been studying out of Proverbs 29, 18 in the message, and I love that this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says that people can't see what God is doing. They stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. And we've dissected that scripture enough. I'm going to leave it right there. But I'm going to give you a different version of it today. In the Living Bible, it says, where there is ignorance of God, crime runs wild. But what a wonderful thing it is for a nation to know and to keep his laws. In all of my years of life, never have I seen as many riots, as many people getting ran over with cars in Times Square, as many people making bombs out of crockpots, as many people uh, doing crazy things as I have in the day and the age that we live in today. And it's a direct correlation to this scripture right here. It says, where there is an ignorance of God Crime runs wild. It's what we're seeing today. Uh, it, it breaks my heart as a pastor that, that church no longer has a priority in people's lives, that, that, that uh, you know, spending fellowship with, with other believers and, and making God first on every area of your life is no longer the number one priority in our country. And, and it's a, a direct correlation of what we're seeing today is a direct correlation to what Scripture tells us, where there's an ignorance of God Crime runs wild. Where there's a, where there, another version says where there's no revelation. Where there's no revelation, the people cast, cast off restraints, anarchy, craziness. It's the things we read about today in the news every single day. Where, why does this happen? Why is this going on? Why are there people hijacking airplanes? Let me tell you why. There is no real revelation in some people's lives of who God really is. I don't serve a God of hate. I don't serve a God that has to kill people. I don't serve a God that has to do those things. That is not a true living God. He came to forgive and to love and, and to nurture. The whole time he's walking through life, 
Judas is right there with him. He knows who Judas is. He knows Judas' heart ain't right, but he loves him anyway. That's what we do as a church. We love people. When you have a true revelation of who he is, there's, there's not hate needed. It's just love. We love people enough, long enough, they come to know Jesus in a real way because we share a revelation of who he is. The ESV says where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Vision, that word um, it was, is translated from the original word hazan, a sight, a mental sight, a dream. Where there is no dream, where there's no vision implanted in somebody's life, they cast off restraint. It also means shazah, to see or to behold. Where people aren't beholding God. Not just seeing, but beholding. You, you have to behold Him. That's why church is so important. Well, you know, I just watch. There's something about coming to church, putting on clothes, taking enough time in the morning, and saying, Jesus, you know what? You're number one in my life. I'm going to put you first in my life this week. On the first day of the week, first thing in the morning, I'm saying, God, you're important enough to me that I'm going to shower up, I'm going to shave, I'm going to look sharp, and I'm coming into your presence to, so I can discover a divine revelation of you. Because if not, I'm going to go wild this week and I'm going to kill somebody. And that's the truth. We wonder, we, we skip church on a Sunday, and I'll go on vacation, and I realize this, you know, and i got to get away from here every once in a while, and I take a couple Sundays off. I, I encourage all y'all to take a couple Sundays off, just a couple, <laughs> not four at a time, just a couple. And, and so, you know, and I encourage you to do that, but there has to be, there has to be a, a knowing of who God is that I have to get into his presence. Why is the world falling apart this week? You didn't do what, what needed to be done first. And, and we, have to, we have to do those things. The problem with the world is that today is they don't have a real revelation or a knowing of who he really is. Somewhere along the way, we lost a generation. And, and we want to blame them and we want to tag them. We want to call them millennials. It's, don't, don't brand our millennials. It's not their fault. Most of them weren't raised in church. They have no revelation of who God is. It's not their fault. They were never taught how to work hard. They, they, were, they weren't taught that you had to go. They weren't like me. I was stuck in a pasture at the age of 12 years old throwing hay all summer long. I was stuck in the bottom of a pool hole 10 degrees hotter than the outside weather in southeast Texas. It was cruel and unusual punishment. My dad owned a pool company. I was down there with a pickaxe. Swinging it in gumbo. That's what we call our clay down here. Swinging it in gumbo as hard as I could just over and over again. And I was ready for the football season. I didn't need to work out. My dad worked me out every day of my life. I'm telling you, when I was, when I was 14, I could pick up a 100-pound sack of Portland cement, one in each hand over my head. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, Dad made me work. You didn't work. You didn't eat. You were 14. You weren't living in his house for free. And at the time, I hated him for it. I'm not going to lie to you. There was days I said, God, kill him. He's mean to me. I'm just being real. If you don't, I might. 
And uh, he said, oh, boy, it don't kill you. It's good for you. And then his, his favorite thing was to say, can't isn't in the Olivier Dictionary. I'd say, God, I'd say, Dad, I can't do that. He said, boy, can't isn't in our dictionary. Just get down there and do it. There wasn't no feeling sorry for me. He knew that unless he toughened me up, I wasn't going to be ready for the world I was going into. And now I just let stuff fall off of me because I know it's no big deal. Because I've been through all that. I've done all that. And why? Because of a dad. And it comes back to a revelation of having a father who shared who God was with me. All the stuff we're seeing happening in the world, it's not happening in the natural. It's happening in the spiritual first. There's a war going on. And unless we, we give our children and the generation that we live in today a real revelation of who he is and, and we help pound it into them, literally, I, I'm telling you, we're going to lose another generation. We, we've got we've to teach our children that, that going to church is a priority. We have to teach our children that, that God comes first. We have to teach our children that if you do something wrong, there's consequences. Look, you know why Pastor Ryan never touched a drug in his whole entire life? Because not only did I have a fear of God in my life, and I had a fear of Dad. I wasn't worried about what the drug would do to me. I was worried about what Dad would do to me. If I came home high or drunk, I knew my life was over. I'm serious. And, uh, and I thank God for that in my life today. I thank God that I had a dad that set a standard that we don't bow, we don't bend, we don't break. This is it. This is what, what I believe, and this is what the Word of God says, and it hurts me worse to whip you. Sure it did, Dad. <laughs> you enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> I think he did anyway. It sure seemed like he enjoyed every minute of whipping me. And I deserved it. I'm going to tell you right now, I deserved everything I got. But we live in a society whose dreams have been given by the enemy, not the true and living God. You don't know why we have all this? We have kids that don't know what it's like to succeed because they, they, they have unrealistic dreams. The enemy sets them up for failure. In fact, it was heartbreaking. I was at, uh, I was at the uh, school for a meeting. Was it Monday before last we went, Josh? Uh, we went to the, uh, we went to the, the administration building. And we had a meeting uh, with Dr. Pat, our superintendent. And uh, she's on top of her game, let me tell you, sweet lady. And uh, we, had a, we, had a, we had a meeting about sexual trafficking, sex trafficking, and uh, how rampant it is in the Freeport and Angleton area right now. Uh, sexual tra sex trafficking, I don't know why I want to say sexual trafficking, sex trafficking is uh, running wild, and they're, they're, uh, they're looking at your teenagers is who they're looking at. Uh, we have these pimps and these johns coming into town, and um, they're looking for specific girls. They're looking for those that don't believe in themselves. They're looking for young ladies that have no dreams and have no vision in their life. They're looking for young ladies who, who are a little bit poor on the economic side and they want to prey on them. 
And so what they do is that they'll sit at the mall and they'll see a young lady who's walking by herself and they'll say, you sure are pretty. And she keeps walking, just ignores them, got enough self-confidence that she just ignores them, keeps keep going. They leave her alone. Because she's got self-confidence. We're not going to pray on the ones that got self-confidence. We're not going to pray on the ones that got dreams in their life or got visions in their life or got a daddy in their life that's given them a God dream. We're going to pray on the weak. That's what the devil does. And, 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 so, and so these four girls are getting caught up in sex, sex trafficking because the guy will sit there at the mall and he'll wait for some girl that, that's a little overweight. Her, it looks like she doesn't believe in herself. And she'll say, he'll say, hey, sweetie, you sure are pretty. He goes, well, nobody's ever told me that before. And he goes, oh, that's my girl right there. She ain't never had nobody tell her she was pretty. She ain't never had nobody believe in her. She ain't nobody ever helped her have have a God dream in her life or have vision in her life. And and that guy says, that's her. And he's going to make her feel like a queen. And he's setting her up for something. Because she has no vision, she has no dream in her life. And so he gives her a little bit of money. And she falls in love with him, and she thinks he's the one, and he'll, he'll sleep with her and, and entice her, and, and then she'll do anything for him at that point because there's been a soul tie, and she sold herself to what she don't even know is the devil who has eight or ten other little ladies just like her. And then she'll convince him, look, my, my electric bill's overdue this month. My electric bill's a little overdue this month. Uh, would you do this one time for me? Uh, we, we, we need money really bad. And he'll give her a burner phone instead of her cell phone. So if her parents look at her cell phone, even if she has parents, um, they'll give her a burner phone where you can look at your kid's cell phone and you may see there's nothing wrong checking on your kids. You can see there's nothing wrong, but she's got this totally separate phone that this guy's given her so that she can meet him places and he can take and sell her. All because nobody ever gave that young lady purpose in her life. Never, never implanted a God dream in her life. Never, never told her she was beautiful. Her dad never took her on a date and showed her how a lady should be treated. She never had that in her life. And that's who the enemy's wanting to prey on. There's so many misconceptions of who he is in the church. We've gotten where we come to church for a spectacle just to see what the good praise and worship is going to be like or what crazy words the pastor is going to say during the day. But, but the truth is we need to be coming for a true revelation and a true knowledge of who he is because we need a revelation so that we can pass it on to somebody else. Because we don't want them hitting that place in their life, that greatest place of pain in their life, of of disappointment in their life, and never be able to get to a promised land. Because all of a sudden the enemy has a stronghold, and, and the dream he plants in them is death and destruction. And most of these girls that are sold into sex trafficking never live past the age of 35. We don't raise up a generation, the enemy will, and he'll steal them. When our priorities no longer put God first in every area of our life, it's a true sign that we lack a vision of, of who he is. Lack of vision starts with a lack of trust. Proverbs 29 to 25 says this, 
Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. There's a safety. We should fear no one but the Lord our God. There's a safety in fearing God. Because when you fear Him, you trust Him. You know who He is. It comes back to divine revelation of, uh, of who He is. And then we read in Habakkuk 2.1. I love this passage. Habakkuk says, what's God, God going to say about my questions? I'm embraced for the worst. He said, I'll climb into a lookout tower. I'll scan the horizon to see what's going on. And then he says some key words, and I love this. I love this right here. He says, I'll wait to see what God says. You ever seen that line before? See what he says. God says, I want you to see what I'm about to say. Those are two different senses totally. Completely different senses. See what I say. Two different senses. How do you see what somebody says? I can hear what he says, but seeing what he says. That's what God wants for us in our life. He wants, to, he wants us to see what he's saying because seeing takes vision. And the only way you'll ever live out your dreams, the only way you'll ever have true vision for your life is if you can see what he says. Do you want to see what God's saying in your life? It takes trust to dream, but you have to start proclaiming it in order to see it. I've always told Pastor Jennifer these three things in our life. And I've always believed these things in my life. I've always said if I I believe it, I can see it. And if I see it, I can have it. And uh, now, I'm not a blab it, grab it kind of guy. You know, name it, claim it. I'm not one of those Christians. It has to be in the perimeters of what God's will for my life is. Uh, But I, I believe if I hear a dream that he has for my life, if I can see that dream, I can believe first believe the dream that he's given me. I can believe in it enough that I can see it, then I can have it. It takes sight to live out our dreams. It takes supernatural faith. Sometimes we just have to speak over ourselves and say, I'm the head, not the tail, the beginning, not the end. I am what he says I am. I can have what he says I can have. I believe it. I claim it. I receive it. Now, I'm not claiming Lamborghinis. I don't need a Lamborghini. I'm just going to be honest. First of all, your pastor's too big to try to squeeze in that car. An F-250 I can believe for, but, but a Lamborghini, I don't, need, I don't need a $200,000 car. I don't even need a new $60,000 truck. I don't need this. I don't want that stuff in my life. I can feed too many people, and I, I can, there's too many kids down here at Kids Harbor. I can go touch their lives with, with $60,000 versus a truck. I'm just being real. But, you know, I just, I, I've never been one, I, I don't have to have the biggest, the best. I, I like the latest and the greatest. Don't get me wrong, everybody does. But uh, they got a new iWatch update. And I'm always, you can ask my wife, I'm an electronic guru. I, I love the new iPhones. I love all that stuff. I love technology. Hey, it helps my day go by quicker. I can look right here. I can scroll forward and see, see what the next thing on my calendar is happening. And it helps me get my day gun. I, I, day gun. I can't talk, dadgummit. <laughs> it helps my day go by faster, and it, it helps keeping me organized. Now, there's a new iWatch update. It's been out for like three weeks. I've been seeing it. I haven't had time to update it because I've been worried about other stuff. I, I'm, not, 
I don't get, I, I like the things of the world, but I don't get caught up in them. And there's a difference. And because if we're living in the world, we, we live in the world, but we can't get caught up in the things of the world. Life's always going to be too busy uh, to open your Bible. But we make a statement. We do it anyway and say, God, you're first. I'm running behind this morning, but I'm going to get this scripture in before I go to work because I need it. You say, what's easy for you? You're a pastor. It doesn't matter. I'm still busy. If you know me, I haven't had a day off in like 8 or 12 weeks. I don't get full days off. I just haven't had time for that. There's people in our community that need me. And I I go out and I try to serve them the best I can. I'm going to take some vacation time here real shortly. In the month of July, you're going to miss me for two Sundays in a row. What? I did. I I work hard. I play hard. But you know, supernatural faith takes action. In order to see things, it takes action. You know, if you want knowledge, you have to study. If you want muscles, you got to work out. And my muscles ain't that big no more. They're fading. They're going quickly. They turned into fat. I'm a saggy muscle man these days. There's no longer I will pump you up and none of that. Pastor Jennifer tells me, go work out. If you want a house, you got to start saving. If you want supernatural finances in your life, most of y'all are thinking, I'm going to say, go get a job. That's not what I'm going to say. Because you got to think and see bigger than the, than the small pictures in life. There, there's some things in life that are bigger than what we can see. That's why God says, see what I say. There's some things that are bigger than that. If you want supernatural finances in your life, start making some supernatural offering checks out. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Me and Jennifer did that last year. We wrote some, we wrote some checks that my honey almost couldn't cash. I'm being real because we, want, we knew what God called us to do. And anytime you have a dream, it takes vision. And let me tell you, there ain't a vision in the world that's worth having if it doesn't require provision. If you look at the word provision, it means for the vision. That's what it means, for the vision. And I'm going to tell you what, you might say, well, pastor, ask for money too much. I'm going to ask you for money. I am, because I have huge vision. And huge vision takes huge provision, and together we walk by faith and we do some stuff we can't afford. That, that's just how it happens. I'm sorry. I know mega church pastors that have to get up and ask for money because they have big vision. They ain't get to where they are off of having a little dream and a little vision. If you've got a pastor that never asks for money, it's because he has no vision in his life that, that takes provision to move his church forward. I'm just I'm being I'm real. I am real. And so don't get offended if pastor ever asks for money because we're, we're trying to move some stuff forward. I want to touch those girls who are caught up in sex trafficking. I want them to have a place they can go. And that's, I'm sorry, but that takes money. You can't run any great thing in this world without money. We got trillions of dollars in America worth the national debt, and we shouldn't have it because this is a blessed country. And we're not going in debt. I don't go in debt. But I'm believing that if we have a big enough vision and you, you catch the vision and, and you hang on to it, you won't mind giving your provision. 
for the vision. And we are. We, we're closing out our deal. I got great news. All our bonds are sold. Every single one of them are sold. They're all gone. If you want one, too late. They're all gone. And, and so we've refinanced our church. We're just waiting for it to fund. And, in fact, if you haven't filled out your, signed your paperwork and sent it back to Roger, I need you to do that. Please do it today or tomorrow. And because that's all we lack is getting a couple signatures turned in. You may have already done that. It may just be caught up in the mail. That's okay. Uh, but get that in really quick uh, because we're about to fund, and, and we're going to pay off this large, humongous debt uh, that we had at one time. Originally, they financed $1.8 million to build all this and buy all this. And uh, we, we paid that way down, and we're refinanced now. We're going to save $60,000 a year on our note, and that is great stuff. Thank you for believing in the vision. Uh, Roger, Roger Lankford, who was here selling bonds, uh, just commended you. He can't talk enough about each and every one of you. He said, uh, just phenomenal church, Pastor. Phenomenal people. Phenomenal people, Pastor. He said, they bought into what you're doing. I want to thank you for getting behind the vision and buying out the bonds. Because he said, out of all the churches in America, he sells every year. Only one, maybe two, sell out. And we sold out. And uh, so, so that's, a, that's, that's a great thing. That tells me that y'all love me. And, and you love what we're doing. And you believe in the vision of this house. And, and that says something. And uh, we're going to get some, a little bit of money back, and we're going to do some things. If you notice, our sound pops a little bit on Sunday mornings and messes up. Those speakers are over 30 years old. And uh, we, need, we need some new ones. And we got a little money that we've had saved up, but we're going to get a little bit more. We're going to replace those, and, and we're going to do some lighting, and, I, and we're going to do some different things because it's hot up here. You see me sweating on Sunday morning. It's not just because I'm fat. It's because y'all got me under a heat lamp. These bulbs are hot. I just want to let you know they're, they're, they're not new technology. Nothing in this building's new technology. In fact, the lighting and, and most, of the, most of the sound equipment and most of that stuff was brought from other buildings. All these speakers, all this stuff, they, uh, they went from building to building to building from the inception of this church. Uh, these speakers actually were in big wooden boxes hanging in the grocery store. And uh, they look different than the grocery store because they were in big wooden boxes. But these are the same exact speakers that were in there. And uh, You're supposed to change out the insides of those speakers every two years, and they haven't been changed in 30. And, and so we're going we're gonna to put some new speakers in. It's going to make this place sound crisper and better and help us attract more people here. And, and, uh, but I have a large vision, so I'm not going to apologize when I come to you for provision. Because uh, I want you to latch in. I want you to be a part of this. Because when eight people get baptized, it was your provision that had part in that. Uh, you're, you're getting rewarded in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven. And uh, why would he say, store up my treasures in heaven if I wasn't going to need them there? I'm just being honest. He, he wouldn't, Jesus didn't just talk to talk. He's saying, you're going to need some treasure in heaven. Store it up. Don't leave it all here on this earth. They can't put it in the casket with you. Give it to God. When you get to heaven, it'll be there waiting on you. You put it in the casket, it ain't gonna, you ain't going to never see it again. But we, we have to take the natural in our lives and turn it into the supernatural. 
In order to do that, we have to envision to step into a dream and a vision. Uh, dreams, I'm going to tell you a, a secret. Dreams don't chase you. I've never had a dream chase me. I, I've never had a dream chase me. I've never had a dream fall into my lap. I've never won the lottery. The only lottery I have in my life is I put my tithe check in it every single week. And, and I know that I can't outgive God. In fact, there was a steamboat captain back in the back in the fifties who was very, very wealthy, and they said, Where'd you get all your money for from? He said, Well, I just I keep shoveling money to God. Well, how, how you have all this money then? Well, he said, God's shovel's bigger than mine is. And uh, it's the truth. God's shovel's bigger than mine is. And uh, everything I've ever done in my life has been blessed. And uh, I know it's blessed because I'm faithful to him. He's faithful to me. It's funny how that works. Uh, I put him first and he takes care of me. Uh, there's, there's certain things that the Jewish people have always always had in their life. And you look at that Jewish culture, God still blesses the Jews today. But they've always been very big on education. They've always been very big on invention and inventing. In fact, most of your patents you see around the world are held by Jews. And they've always been cutting edge. It's, it's marvelous that this little piece of real estate right next to Palestine called Israel has the second largest air force next to America in the world. And the reason they do is because the blessings of God are still on that place because the blessings of God are on His people. You are His people. His blessings are for you. He's just waiting for us to trust Him. He's waiting for us to see what He says. You want to know what He says? It's right here. This is what He says. Read it and start to see it in your life. Okay, God says I can tithe. I'm going to see that in my life. But it starts with action. Okay, God says I'm the head and not the tail. I'm tired of always losing everything I do. I'm going to start believing God, trusting Him. Every, I'm going to church every Sunday. Watch Him turn things around in your life. I promise you, you come to church here every Sunday for a year, and I promise you, your life will be different in one year than it is today. Because God does something when we're faithful to the house of God and when we're faithful to Him. In fact, the Jewish people in 1 Timothy 1.17, it says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible. I want to key on that word invisible. To God who alone is wise, be honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. Throughout the Bible, we can see where God brags about His invisibility. That word invisible means unseen, not seen. We talk about seeing what he says. We talk about faith. Even our salvation is built on the faith that we believe that he died for us. We believe that he rose again. We never saw it, but we believe in it. And, and it goes back to Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. And we, we read this scripture, but I don't think we have a true revelation of it. And it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. Jewish people knew and bragged about their God was invisible, but he always showed up right on time for them. We see with Elisha, uh, he, he struck the prophets of Baal. God took care of him. He always shows up and shows off right on the right amount of time. Though we cannot see him, he is ever present. And I know in my life the blessings that flow out of me believing in him and having vision in him. In fact, verse 6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
our dreams if they don't have vision of who God is and a revelation and knowledge of who He is. They'll never come to pass. Because we can't please God without faith in our life. We can't, we can't do it. We have to trust Him enough to see what He says in our life and in our family and in our resources and in our future. And, and sometimes you think, well, things have all gone wrong, Pastor. Sometimes we have to build a ramp to get back on. Sometimes we got to take some steps in our life to build a ramp to correct some things in our life. Sometimes we need an entrance ramp, entrance ramp. The devil's kind of blown that up in our lives, and we don't know how to get back on that, on that path or on that entrance to live out our dream. And God says, just see what I say. See what I say. In fact, we're going to celebrate today. We're going to celebrate the fact that we've paid the old bond off. I wanted to burn it in a bucket up here, the old bond, because it's been such a, it's been kind of an albatross to this church. I wanted to burn it in a bucket, but our fire alarm system in here is so sensitive. It goes off without real fire, so if I put real fire in here, we'd probably all be wet. We'd all get sprinkled and baptized right here in the congregation today. Because this thing is just, it's finicky. It just really is. And I don't know about you, but I, I want to make sure my kids have a revelation of who God is. I don't want them to be, be, a, be sought out by a sex trafficker. And the deal is you say, well, you got boys. You're okay, Pastor. Let me tell you what, those sex traffickers, uh, they're, they're targeting young boys as much as they are girls these days. There, there's nobody safe from what the devil wants to prey on you. And he, wants, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he'll make you believe while he's stealing and he's killing and he's destroying your life. He'll make you believe it's okay. He will. He'll sell you a false dream and false hope and, and false pretenses. But I am so glad as a church we're called to restore people. We're called to redeem people. Uh, I was watching that Fixer Up show. Uh, Y'all ever watch that with Chip and Joanna Gaines out of Waco? And, and really, you know, I've always fixed houses up and flipped them and sold them and, and I love watching it because Chip's just got this great personality he's crazy he'll jump in the water in his underwear in a pool in the backyard you know he's just crazy and one day I was like man Chip this ain't naked and afraid put your clothes back on you know but uh he's just crazy and he's funny you know and he's fun to fun to watch and and uh I was so I was reading an article the other day of uh, of their life and Joanna talks about how every time they would go to a family outing, her dad would ask Chip. He'd say, when are you going to get a real job? Because Chip never had any, they never had any money in the bank. Now, he always had a wad of cash in his front pocket from remodeling and fixing stuff up. And he always covered, Joanna says, he always covered everything. But he, she said, my family wasn't used to seeing somebody walk by faith like he did. And, and just to go out there and just 100 miles an hour without without knowing, you know, knowing the consequences could be fatal for their family, but just walking on water every single day. And she goes, it took me a while. She goes, you know, I love to, I love to decorate and, and do all that, and together me and Chip are a great team. But she goes, it, it took me a while to see where Chip was going with things. And it's the same thing in our life with God. It takes us a while to see what he says. 
And uh, she goes, I didn't understand this whole flipping thing. She goes, I didn't, I didn't get the concept of what he was telling me is we take something, we take something that's completely undervalued in life, that has no value, that has been broken down, it's been torn apart, it's been mistreated, it's been neglected. And we take that thing that has no hardly any value left in it, and we buy it because it has little value. We buy it because it's undervalued. And, and we take it, and I never got what Chip was saying. We take that item, and we put value back into it. And as we put value back into it, we bought it cheap because it had little value. We put extreme value into it. We put our hearts and our souls into it. And as we put value into it, its value rose. And out of the ashes, it came up, and it became worth something of great value again. And we sold it, and God started blessing us over and over and over again. That's what we are called to do as the church. We should see what God says. We should see value in everything that the church does. We should see value in everything that we do in life. And we need to restore value into those that are unvalued, those that are broken down, those that are hurt, those that are torn apart, those that have been disvalued and, and, and told they're not worth anything by the world. That's what the church is called to do, is to restore value into their lives. That's my vision that's my dream, to, to restore to those who don't think they're worthy, to those who look to a bottle in, instead of Jesus, to those that look to a drug as a high instead of looking to God. I want to restore value in their life because somewhere along the way, they've been broken. They've been undervalued. Somewhere along the way, they've run into that wall. Just like Abram's dad They've come to a place of great pain in their life where they no longer feel like they're worth anything. They no longer feel like their life is worth living. They no longer feel like there's any value in anything in life. But if they can get a hold of my Jesus and they can realize he is the giver of life, in him there's fullness of joy, then we can bring value, the greatest value God ever gave anybody, in the, in the entirety of the world was his son, and he paid the ultimate price. We can put that value back in them. We can see them restored to great wealth in their lives personally. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I just thank you that you give us dreams of restoring value to people as a church this week. This was about seeing people, Father, for who they are and what you want to do. I thank you, Father, for the dreams and the visions you've given me for this city and for these people in this city, Father. I thank you, Father, what you want to do in the city, do it in this city. What you want to do in broken people, do it in, do it in broken people in this city, Father. I thank you, Father, for the couple that sits at the heart of Angleton today. I thank you, Father, they're broken and they're lost. and There's no money that'll fix what's wrong with them today. And I thank you, Father, what they need is a real revelation of who you are. 
I thank you for restoration value in the, in the homeless in the inner cities, Father. For those that have been broken, those that have been caught up in sex trafficking, Father. Change their hearts today. Give them hope. I thank you, Father God, that in you there is great hope. In fact, there's hope even if you've been dead for four days, just like Lazarus. You can resurrect them, Father. There's always hope. You're the author, the finisher of our faith. And in you we dwell and we reside and we live and we breathe and we move, Father. Give us a heart for people like never before, Father. Give us a heart for this city like never before. Let us restore value into those that are broken, Father. Let us look at people through our week differently this week. Let us have a true revelation of who you are, Father. You only sent your son for those that were hurting and lost and desperate. You sent him for me. You sent him for all of us, Father. But not just for us to keep and to hold, but for us to share and to restore value into life, Father. I thank you for who you are today. If there's somebody in this congregation today that's that's broken, maybe maybe you say, Pastor, I've hit that wall. I'm I'm at that place of brokenness. Our prayer partners are coming now as I speak. If you've hit that place in your life, you said, I'm broken. I've got some stuff that I just can't get past today, Pastor. I've turned to everything under the sun, but I've never turned to Jesus. Today's your day. He's down here at this altar, and he's waiting on you to find him. He's waiting on you so that he can put value back into your life. So that he can restore and he can redeem you. If you need prayer today, these altars are open. If not, I'm going to ask you to be dismissed quietly. Father, bless them as they go today. As they walk through these doors today, let them see things in this city they've never seen before. Let us be the solution and not the problem. Let us be your hands and your feet, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.